Siri, play Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Okay, Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast coming up. Thank you. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 145. Dan Kaufman and the Kaufman Buck, part two. 37 points, 287 and 5 eighths net inches. The Hunt. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Morris' Sporting Goods and the Eurohanger. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Travis T-Bone Turner with Bone Collector and Realtree Road Trips, and you're about to listen to another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Jana Waller from Skullbound TV, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey, this is Charles Byron, deer hunting from California all the way to Iowa. You're about to listen to another amazing episode of my favorite deer hunting podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to part two of the Dan Kaufman Buck. My name is Jay Scott, and I'm here with my good friend Dusty Phillips, who is ready to do some commentary as we lead into this amazing part two, The Hunt with Dan Kaufman. What's up, Dusty? Oh, man, super excited, Jay. We've we got a great hunt coming up here on the show today. The play-by-play of the number two Pope and Young. Last week, we had show the show with Dan, and Dan went through the lead-up to the hunt and all the things he did in preparation of that hunt. And now it's time to break it all down, step-by-step, play-by-play, how that entire hunt unfolded. And believe me, it's not what you think. So stay tuned to the end because there's a twist. Yeah, super great twist. It's, it's like one of the things where you you get to the point where you think you've got the whole story figured out. Yeah, that's right. And you don't. And it's, you're about to get to the, the, the good part, and that's... The, the recovery but there's a twist there is a twist so stay tuned for that but before we get back to dan and his amazing buck this uh 280 something mincher let's have jim keller come on with the deer news the deer news this week is sponsored by the euro hanger you don't have to spend big bucks to hang your big buck get yourself a euro hanger facebook.com forward slash euro hanger e-u-r-o-h-a-n-g-e-r For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story, deer ticks are already out in force in Maine. This story was originally reported by the Portland Press-Herald. Deer ticks are out in force this spring in Maine due to the very mild winter. Maine has experienced an increase in Lyme disease in recent years, although 2015 saw a slightly lower number of cases than in 2014 after a very harsh 2014-2015 winter. In the early to mid-2000s, Maine only reported a few hundred cases of Lyme disease, but cases started to increase in 2007. In 2015, Maine reported 1,176 cases. Milder winters mean people will be out earlier for a longer season and more ticks will survive the winter. Snow and leaves act as insulators and help ticks survive the cold weather. 
Long cold winters without snow, which Maine seldom experiences, would reduce the tick population. For many more details on ticks and Lyme disease, including information on studies being done in Maine, please check our show notes for a link to the article. 23 more cases of CWD confirmed in Arkansas. This story was reported by the ABC KAIT Channel 8 News. The Arkansas Game and Fish Commission has confirmed 23 additional cases of chronic wasting disease among the deer and elk herd, bringing the total number of cases to 79. Samples were tested at the Wisconsin Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory in Madison and verified by the National Veterinary Services Laboratory in Ames, Iowa. To date, all samples and positive cases have come from Newton Boone counties, which have been the focal areas. The second phase of CWD surveillance is planned to continue through May 20th and will determine the prevalence of the disease throughout the state. The samples will be taken from roadkill, which tend to be more likely to test positive than random sampling. CWD can only be tested on deer within a few days of the animal's death, so the agency is asking the public to report deer and elk kills as quickly as possible. Arkansas residents interested in reporting a recent road kill can call 800-482-9262. Operators are available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. A May 19th public meeting has been scheduled at the Carroll Electric Co-op building in Jasper at 6 p.m., The agenda for the meeting includes providing updated CWD results and potential regulation proposals specific to CWD management. Hunters bag massive cattle-eating alligator. This story was originally reported by Daniel Zhu on OutdoorHub.com. A group of hunters may have harvested one of the largest alligators in state history. The massive reptile was taken by a group of hunters in Okeechobee, Florida. The gator weighed 780 pounds and measured just short of 15 feet. The hunters were actually hunting for hogs when they came across the massive gator. The gator had been reported to have attacked and even eaten cattle in the area. The heaviest reported gator in Florida weighed in at a whopping 1,043 pounds. If you get a chance, be sure to check out the pictures in the original article. (laughs) Illinois DNR given notice of layoffs. This story comes to us from OutdoorNews.com. More than 100 DNR employees will be laid off by September 30th, according to notices that were sent out by the Illinois Governor's Office to Public Employee Unions. Statewide, the number of layoffs has been estimated at 170. Many of the DNR employees work at the Illinois State Museum, which has been slated for closure due to the ongoing budget crisis. About 30 CPOs are on the list, along with nine employees at the World Shooting and Recreation Complex in Sparta. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks, Jim Keller, for the Deer News. And without further ado, here is Dan Kaufman. There's actually a very interesting story behind that. Um, so, And that kind of leads me into something else that we, we were talking about tactics early. Um, you know, one of the things I did is, like I told you, I fed, you know, probably on a 10-day cycle. It was probably the best average. Um, one of the things I did was every time I fed... I would take roughly 13, 15 bags of uh, feed sacks that were empty, right? I just emptied them with corn. They had corn dust in them. And I would turn two of them inside out and shove them down in my boots, inside my rubber boots. And obviously, I had a pair of hunting boots and I had a pair of feeding boots because, you know, I felt that my feeding boots were probably too sweaty and stinky to be using in the field. 
So, and, and obviously going back to knowing that, you know, I'm going to have to try to give this deer at least a crosswind if I want to kill him, you know, back to reading some Adam Hayes stuff, you know, talking about give him the wind. If I'm going to have to give him the wind, I'm going to scent control. And I, I was ridiculous about it. So I'd take two bags of corn, shove them down on my boots and then take my boots and shove them in a bag. And then I'd take each individual clothing article and put it in a different corn sack. And then I'd take them and put them in a plastic tote. And then when I got undressed or when I would, I'd pull back in a a little hiding cubby spot and, you know, off the road, cover my truck up. And because I didn't want anybody knowing I was even hunting. And I would start, you know, I'd slowly pull the stuff out and hang it up and get undressed and, and dress up. Well, so that was kind of my, my, my scent control. And obviously, like I said, I was using an ozone machine and, you know, I would turn them bags inside out and wipe the dust all over me and everything else. And one of the things <laughs> yeah. I was, um, you know, I always hunted with my pants tucked in my boots, but I got so OCD about this that I decided, you know what, I'm going to quit doing that because, you know, you walk, your boots, your feet sweat, your legs sweat inside them rubber boots, and then you sit down, your pants pull up a little bit. Now you got them sweaty pant legs that are sticking out of your boots. And I'm right. sure they think right. so. One of the things I did was I would hike my pant legs up to my knees, like just above my boots. Yeah. That way there was no cloth touching weed sticks and stuff like that. And I would walk back there. And then as soon as I got in a stand, I would pull my pant legs down over my boots and tighten them around my ankle to where no scent could get out or anything like that. Um, I didn't wear my hat to the stand because I thought, well, I don't want to be sweating around that brim, you know, and. So I, I was pretty a little crazy about it, but you know, every time I hunted this deer on this farm, there there was probably a total of twelve times maybe that I sit in a stand, and only four of them were at when I was actually probably four to maybe five that I was actually hunting this deer, uh, or not this deer, but actually hunting him. Um, the other seven or eight times when I said I was sitting in a stand, I was actually sitting in a. Um, I had a um, surveillance stand pretty much, and, and that was a stand that I knew for a fact I wasn't going to kill this deer in, but it gave me a perfect wind, and it gave me the best angle of the farm that I could watch through binoculars. And even if I could just get a glimpse of him coming out of a thicket or, or you know, somewhere on the farm that would give me information on this deer, um, that was, you know, I was just scoped the fields with binoculars out of that stand. Um, so so going to forward to, to the the day that I actually killed this deer, actually, let's talk about the, let's say the, the day before, um, or no, it was the day. So, so the guy that I hunted the farm with called me up and he said, you know, Hey, I got a picture of him coming out of, um, the, we called it the CRP fields, actually wetland CRP. So I got a picture of him coming out of there at 5 AM and turning around and going right back in. And literally he wasn't out of it for two or three minutes. It's five o'clock in the morning. So I said, all right, well, then he's bedded up in that CRP field. So I knew that after the crops from the previous year, I knew that after the crops went down, this deer was either in that, that field or up in a small six, seven acre thicket that was across the farm. So one of the, the fields, is the, we call it the CRP wetlands field, mm-hmm. it's on the southeast side of the farm. Well, the thicket, it's just a six, seven acre thicket is on the southwest side of the farm. That day we had a hard northwest wind. It was a full moon with, you know, it was like 99% um, full moon, you know, in the times as far as the moon being directly overhead and with the sun directly underfoot were just about as good as they got. Um, I remember we had a we had a cold front coming in, the barometric pressure was like 31-something and rising. Oh, wow. Okay. So everything was perfect, and wind's coming out of the, the northeast, and um, 
So everything was dead on, and we had this picture where we knew this buck was on this farm, and I knew where he was bedded. So immediately when I started thinking, and I started thinking, well, we got good northwest, north, um, good winds coming out of the northeast, uh, all right, and I know that when late winter comes, this thicket that I talk about that has six, seven acres, when late winter and it really starts getting cold, he hangs out in that thicket a lot. And I think the reason he hangs out in it is because it's an east-facing hill. So when the sun comes up, you know, I read a lot about how it warm it up, and, and I think that's why he spent so much time in that thicket like that, and it's kind of an open thicket. So I uh, decided, you know what, I'm going to sneak in the backside of that thicket. And, it, you know, this is just before rut. It's October 26th. Yeah. And um, I'm going to sneak in the backside of that thicket, and I'm going to cut me a path. I'm going to take my time. we got hard winds, so any of the deer in that thicket, I should be able to hopefully avoid running them off. But I know the big one. I know he's across the field 400 yards. So I'm going to sneak in there, and I'm going to hang a stand because I'm going to eat. My opportunities are either going to be with that stand 80 yards downwind of that corn pile during the rut. I, I figured I was going to have to go in there at 3, 4 a.m. when he was still out in the fields. Yep. And just sit there and hope that he gave me a shot, you know. And I figured he'll come in before daylight and bed down, and maybe I'll get an opportunity, you know. Or, or he'll come in there and, and you know, I, I think even the does and the big fields are even getting educated to where, you know, back in the day when I was hunting when I was younger, you used to see deer just running everywhere during the rut. And I almost think what's happened is these does have even got smarter, like, they just don't seem like they rut the same as they used to. And I almost think they get in these small five, six, eight, six acre thickets and they just stay in there and run in them thickets all day. So I thought that's where I want to be during the rut and that's where I want to be during late winter. So I went in there, I hung that stand. It took me about two hours. I took my time, was real quiet, real conscious of my scent. And I, and I left out of there and I decided, okay, well, you know, from the the south wetlands field where we think he is, we got a northeast wind, so I got a good crosswind, him coming across that field. Moon's right. Everything was right. I just recently talked to my neighbor about, you know, getting close to the rut. If, if I could just try to rattle him in or try to grunt or do something to get him out of bed just a few minutes early just to come check out what was going on. Yeah. So that was my plan that night. So I rushed home. I got a shower. I rushed back. And um, from that point on, you know, I need to take my time. So I got to take my time. I got dressed. It's an old driveway that went back to a house on this farm. And it's an old thicket. It's a thicket, but it's an old driveway. And, I mean, it's nasty through there. And I, I knew that I had to travel down that little drive line to get back there because that's the only spot that I could get down to that stand without be exposing myself in the fields. And the way these thickets and, and fields were set up, you know, these this wetland CRP, if you're walking across one of them fields, them deer would see you a mile away. So I decided I got to walk down that, that little fence line or that driveway. So, I mean, it was weaving under, over, through thickets, you know, just briars and just take my good old time. And it took, like I said, it took about probably an hour to get to my tree stand. So I get up my tree stand. I'd get everything settled in. I'd have to set my cameras up, you know, and that takes some time. So, you know, I had a sequence. And like I said, every single time I hunted this deer, I hunted him as if this is the big night. I don't want to cut one corner. Everything I do needs to be like this is the night. So that night I went in. I um, got in my stand and uh, I let it set, everything settle down for about a half an hour. And I said, all right, I got the horns out. I rattled a little bit. I grunted a little bit couple bleats and i'd even spray some um you know the, some doe asterisk some you know dominant buck pee and uh 
then I'd sit down and I got up, did it again lightly. Well, two little bucks came in. They kind of started messing around in front of me and then they went off. And uh, then I, I had probably about an hour left of shooting light of actual legal time. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to give it heck. So I just put some elbow grease and just slammed the horns together and, and um, you know, not necessarily like locking them up, but just making good noise with them. And um, as, as I told you earlier, you know, the wind was starting to die down, but it was still, we had a good northeast wind. So uh, then I started grunting a little bit more and I'd bleed a little bit more. And I even actually threw in a, um, a uh, they call that, that roar grunt. And uh yeah been a couple good one of those and i thought well i got about 20 minutes left after that and i sat down and and uh chilled out and i was looking over in that crp wetlands field just hoping man come out of there just just at least let me see yeah you know even if you don't give me a shot let me i'd never seen this deer on the hoof every time i'd seen this deer was trail cameras the first time i seen him on the hoof the night i killed him right and um i'm thinking you know, just give me an opportunity just to see you i just want to see this thing and uh so I'm looking, and all of a sudden I look straight ahead of me, which happens to be in that thicket I was telling you about that's in the uh, southwest side of the farm, yeah. and he stands. He wasn't in the wetlands that I thought he was in, the CRP wetlands. He was not in there. Gotcha. He in the thicket, the seven-acre thicket that I just hung a stand in. He was actually in the thicket with me. Uh, <laughs> and so he's standing up there, and he is 100% downwind. Oh, man. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, this is horrible. This is horrible. He walks across that field. And, and truly, he walked 150 yards to me before it even dawned on me. Hey, my camera's not running. So right. <laughs> my camera on. And uh, like I said, he's still dead downwind. And I'm just thinking, goodness, God, how, am I, how is this going to happen, you know? And uh, I started getting a little nervous. I remember that. I do remember starting to get just a little nervous. And then I realized, you know, I got to do this. I got to do this. So um, I got camera on. I start filming them. And. He, he's rubbing up on a um, – rub the heck out of a tree branch. And this tree branch is, is actually just a bunch of fingers coming off this tree. And um, I remember when I first saw it, I thought, I bet that's him. And I put a camera on it and never did get a picture of him rubbing that. And then he come down through there and rubbed it, which I was like, that was definitely him. So he comes out through there, rubs that. Now he's probably about 125, 130 yards He's walking my way. He's walking right right where I knew that I'm just you know where I had been watching. And um, what I mean, what are you doing at this point? You're, is your heart just like pounding out of your chest? God, I, you know, I I wish I could say I remembered. It was, it was <laughs> it's just it's just gone. Oh, I'm telling you, right. Every time I tell this part of the story, you know, this part of the story in the end is, is I still get chills. Um, so this deer's coming. And I, I'm just, I'm standing, and I'm like, I got my bow in my hand. I got my camera running, you know. I'm checking volume. I'm checking, you know, I'm, do I have camera? Do I have record? Do I have everything going? Everything's going. And I've got so many things going through my mind. And um, he comes up, and, and now he's probably uh, 50 yards. And he kind of stops a little bit, and then he just starts going again. Well, he walks right out in front of me, and he's 30 yards dead broadside of me. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I got my bow, and at this point, I can shoot him. He gives me enough time to shoot him, and I'm just thinking, no, he never goes that way. If he takes five more steps, I don't have a shot anymore. And he goes over there, and he's, he's, he's looking down the fence row away from me, and I'm just thinking, I don't want to take a 30-yard shot. It, it just scares the heck out of me, knowing that I can. I, you know, I, I was practicing up to 60 yards, and... um. I knew that I could, but I just it just scared me. You know, you, you have that split second. Every bow hunter knows this, yeah. this, this feeling. 
but you, you have a split second to make a decision and, and you, you usually make one or the other. And, and what typically happens is either A, you shoot and you kill a deer and you're very excited and pumped and everything goes great. B, you wound them and you, you don't sleep for three nights or, you know, or C, you know, you, you completely miss them and you don't feel terrible because, you know, heck, he, he, uh, he's alive and well and, and healthy and you didn't wound them. But on the other hand, you just you, you're disappointed in yourself, you know. So there's so many different options, or you don't take the shot and he leaves and you regret it. So I, this decision was like the biggest decision of my life. But I knew this deer never took that path. He never went straight. He, he never goes that way. He should be turning right and heading right towards me. Well, sure enough, he just kind of looks my way and turns around and just he's on he's on the go. He's he's walking at a good fast pace, almost like he you know he did exactly what I knew he was going to do, but. Almost like he had made his decision. I'm going that way. I have, and he was on a mission. I don't know if he got a scent of me or what happened. And at that point, you know, I got the camera on him and drew back ten yards. And to mm. be honest with you, you know, you're you're in lower light. There's only seven eight minutes of um, actual shooting time left. Right. And he's on the move. And I can honestly say that you know I would I, I can't say I took a I I put that pin on his chest cavity you know it wasn't a matter of you know oh just above the shoulder over a little no it wasn't that i put on rib cage and and you know vital shot right and, um you know i shot high and back i got a uh, liver i uh, destroyed his stomach got liver a little bit of or good liver and then a little bit of the right upper lung is what we found that was injured um so at this point okay i, I didn't have very much anxiety at all before that he runs he turns around he runs 80 to 100 yards out in the field and stops. He's got a blue knock sticking out of him. And I'm just sitting there thinking, he's going to fall any minute. And now is where I went stupid. <laughs> I was shaking. I, I mean, I, I couldn't stop shaking. I grabbed the tree. I was dry even out of yeah, I, I won't lie. I wasn't dry even. I was puking out of my stand. I was kneeled down on my stand holding on to the seat. Um, it, I was two years of anxiety just punched me right in the throat pretty much right point um i couldn't even you know i was about losing it i knew what just happened and i knew that noise that that um chest cavity shot that you know it wasn't a bone shot it was a chest cavity this deer is dead and um yeah it took me a while and finally jeremy called a good buddy of ours dan gross this is actually the guy who uh who did the scoring for us through the pictures and he scored it that night for me too um he had killed a like 167 inch deer um, the night before, and uh, we were supposed to go look at that deer that night. And Jeremy called me, and said, "Hey, you ready to go?" And I told him, "I said, Jeremy, you're not you're not going to believe what just happened." And he goes, "What?" And I said, "I, I just put an arrow in a man." And and he's like, "No, you didn't." And I said, I, "I swear to God." He said, "I'll be out at the driveway. Let's go." He's like, "Don't screw with me. Let's let's go so we can look at this buck." And I said, no, man, come get me out of this tree stand because I don't know if I can get out of it myself. <laughs> He's like, oh. You're right? And I said, no, dude, pl- trust me. Just hurry up and get here. He said, all right, all right, all right. He said, just don't do anything. I'll be there in a minute. So I worked my way out of the stand. And when I get down, I realized I took my eyes off that buck. And I look over and I don't see him there. By this time, it's it's getting pretty dark. And I look over, and I don't see a knock. I don't see a deer 80 yards out in the field laying there dead. And I'm thinking, oh, God, no, don't do not do this. Right. So I just finally got to the point, okay, well, you, you, he's 80 yards out there. Another 80 yards past that is a, a wooded finger. 
And this wooded finger is probably, oh goodness, two steps and you'd be through it. And that finger goes up into that seven acre thicket. Well, you know, I knew that that deer didn't bed down in that little, you know, finger. So I thought I'm going to walk out there and just kind of see what kind of blood we got. So I found the first, you know, first bit of blood that I could find and just kind of caught a trail and he was bleeding pretty good. And I followed him out to that spot and there wasn't any blood. I mean, it was just barely blood. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this ain't good. So I went back, sat there, thought about it, tried to calm down, text a few people. And um, we we watched the footage, watched the footage, you know, and and we just couldn't, we couldn't find anything that we just 100% thought, yep, that deer's dead. So regardless, I told him, I said, look, I've already gone out there. I was like, let's just walk up to the field edge, see what happens. If we don't see anything that sticks out, we'll back out. All right. So we walk over there. Nothing gets crazy. So we think, you know what, let's go look at the footage. So we uh, get out of there. We um, we go to a friend's house close by, and his his computer was, I think, like 1970s model, and it wouldn't hook up to my uh, <laughs> camera. So we Commodore left. 64. Yeah, it was. Uh, it may have been, you know, I think it was like all one piece and printer, and it may have just been a typewriter. I don't know. But anyways, typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Another friend of mine's, well, we went. To, we ended up going to Dan Grace's house and uh, just to go out there and see his deer. We looked at his deer and, you know, I felt bad because, you know, we looked at this hundred, you know, booner. We're sitting there looking at this booner and I'm like, oh, man, it's a yeah, great buck. Now, can we go look at the footage? Uh, <laughs> and I felt terrible because I'm like, he just killed a, he killed a monster. And here I am like, oh, let's, let's go look at this footage. So we go look at, try to look at the footage at his house. And none of his cables or my cables would match with his computer. Mm. So, we still couldn't look at it. So he looked at the LCD monitor and he agreed with us. There's just not enough there. So we go all the way back to my house, which is another half an hour drive. We get to my house and put it on the big screen and you can't see. You just can't tell. It, it's like you can see the blue knock sticking out of them. You, you see everything, but it's just there's not enough there to tell me, man, that is a good shot. It just looked like there was too much arrow sticking out of them. So um, at that point... We decided, you know, get back out. You you can't go after that deer, and you know, and that's what we decided to do. So uh, we actually um, we went to a high spot on the farm, and now remember, it's a full moon. We went to a high spot on the farm, about five hundred yards away from that field, and you know, you can see everything from up there. And we said, you know what? I sat there all night, never never slept, and we watched all them fields with binoculars. And um, just hoping, because, you know, once your eyes zoomed in and you had binoculars, just if we could just see a deer with a blue knot crossing the field or see him or just see something, and we never did. We never seen anything, you know, some deer crossing the field and stuff, but nothing to show us it was him. So then that next morning, you know, we're watching a radar. It's 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning. We're watching a radar. It's going to rain at 9 a.m. And, you know, we're just thinking, yeah, this, this is getting bad real quick. So... I call another buddy of mine, and he's got a dog. He said, no, I got a deer to track first thing in the morning. He said, I got to go get this deer. And I said, is there any way you could try to get here as soon as possible? Do you know anybody else with a dog? I said, you know, I would pay very well if if you could get a dog out here before it rains. And he said, I just can't, man. He's like, I've already committed to other people. And he said, uh, said, why are you so worried about this thing? And I said, well, it's a big deer. And he goes, well, how big? (laughs) And I said, well, I'd rather not talk about it. I said, but – it's good size, and uh, so he nagged me enough, and I ended up telling him, I said, listen, this, this, this is a once-in-a-lifetime deer. I promise you that. I said, it would be worth your time to come out and help me, and I said, he said, well, he said, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, 
whether we find it or not, I charge 150 bucks. And if you find it, it's another 50. And I'm like, listen, you find that deer, I'll pay you way more than 200 bucks. <laughs> so uh, he, he, um, I, you know, I don't know if you got another friend to go find that other deer or if he, he may have even went to it because he didn't, he didn't really get out there till about an hour after it rained. And, um, so he comes out, we, we track it. And, and before the dogs got there, me and Jeremy, you know, we knew that he'd ran back up in that thicket. And at daylight, we started tracking him. And lo and behold, guess where he bedded down? In that finger that I told you he would never bed down in. Wow. So when I crossed that field at 80 yards, I probably bumped him if I had to guess. Well, I know I bumped him. I'm assuming I bumped him because there was a bed in there with a, just a little bit of blood. And at that point, he decided I'm going to run another 800 yards. So and not a drop of blood after that. So that morning, we decided, all right, we got this seven acre eight acre thicket you know and it, the winds had com- completely changed early that morning they actually changed a couple times on us that day and now we had a wind coming out of the i think it was like southwest but more west so we're we're thinking okay actually no let's see what was the wind we had a wind coming out of the nope it was still coming out of the north it was coming out of the northeast absolutely and because I remember going into that thicket, and I said, well, Jeremy, I said, we got two options. We go into the thicket. I got my bow with me. He's got a camera. I said, we go into this thicket. If he's still alive, he's probably stubbed up. So I think if we slip through this thing and stay downwind of him, and I'll have you skirt the outside of it with the camera, and I said, and you'll kind of stay ahead of me, that maybe maybe he'll see you first, and if he just like maybe stands up or moves his head or something, I'll see him, and I can get the bow drawn back, and if he stands up, I can get another shot at him. I said, but... Keep in mind, I said, if we go this way and we do bump them, we're running them off the property. We decided to stay in a in a better wind position to the point where we'd have been bumping him off the property. But I felt like he's going to smell us if we don't. So we slipped through there, and you know we kind of thought he's going to be stubbed up anyways. You know the shot that he took, if he's bedded up all night, he's going to be stubbed up, and and maybe we'll be get an opportunity. So we we comb through that thicket, just quiet, slow. You know we'd stop every two three minutes two three steps and binocular through there just looking for antlers you know and uh never seen him never seen any blood never seen an arrow never saw any sign of him in that thicket so next thing hmm. we did pulled all the trail cameras and checked all the sd cards gotcha never saw another uh, never saw a glimpse of him um actually what what i did catch is that morning at five thirty a.m yeah. I got a trail camera picture of him going in that thicket, but I never checked them trail cameras because I didn't want to get in there too much. Right, right. That morning because I knew I was going to hunt that evening, and I, I assumed he was still over another field. So, anyways, we got up and we did it. Finally, the dogs come. We said, well, we think he's up in this thicket. They put the dogs on him. Well, at that point, the um, the wind had changed again, and the dogs did not have the wind for where the deer was actually found. And the dogs, you know, it rained. They couldn't get on a good trail. It was always cold trails. So, you know, the dogs were there for a good hour, hour and a half. And uh, they even let us clear across the field into this 80-acre CRP wetlands field. Well, so we're over there now. And this dog just went nuts and started running over there. Well, this field was not owned by me. It was owned by another guy. So I stopped over and and, um, you know, I asked him, which kind of going back a little bit, one of the things that um, I did do with this is three months before I killed this deer, um, I called the game warden and I advised him. I said, listen, this is what I'm hunting. You know, I said, I'm, I didn't tell him exactly what, but I said, uh, I'm yeah. a once in a lifetime deer. I'd like to have your cell phone number. More than likely, you're going to be investigating it anyways. I'd like you to be there when I find him. If I kill him, 
I harvest them. I want you to be there when I find them, and you can investigate everything right there. So he asked me, he said, how big is this deer? I said, well, I don't want to talk about it. And uh, mm-hmm. he says, uh, well, I said, it's a once-in-a-lifetime deer. I promise you that. And he said, well, once-in-a-lifetime deer to some people is 120 inches. And I said, well, you're absolutely right, but I promise you don't know too many people that wouldn't call this a once-in-a-lifetime deer. And uh, he said, okay. And uh, so I finally told him, I said, listen, I think it's 300 inches. He says, bull crap. The other words. <laughs> And I said, I'm telling you, I really do. And I said, is there any way? He's like, well, send me a picture. And I said, well, that ain't going to happen. Right. And uh, <laughs> pretty much said, well, don't call me for anything stupid because that's my work number. I said, all right. So um, I, uh, you know, after that, I got back home. And, and one of the things I did was I talked to all the um, property owners around. And um, and basically, as many as I could talk to and said, hey, you know, I'm hunting a deer that I've been on for a couple of years. If he was to run onto your property is there any way possible you would allow me to go on your property to recover them? And all of them said, yes. Yeah. Some of them gave me permission to hunt it. You know, it was, everybody was more than willing. It's amazing how nice people are when you ask them up front. Right. That's um, a good point. So anyways, so going back to tracking this deer, we go across the field. I go to this guy that owns the CRP field and I ask him, uh, he said his, he's on vacation out of the country. So his wife says, yeah, you guys are absolutely more than welcome. So we next thing we know, you know, we're in this field. The dogs aren't finding anything. He takes a dog. He says, I said dogs, but it was only one dog. He said, uh, I don't think we're having any luck. We're going to head out. And I said, absolutely, I appreciate it. And you paid him. He went on. So me and Jeremy decided, all right, we, we're in here. We have permission. Let's comb this thing. Let's make sure 100% this deer's not in here. So 80, I'd say at least 80 acres of CRP wetlands, we combed it side by side. I mean, I'm wow. talking. We did not stop, and we jumped bucks that were five yards from us. And they were in this field; they were not moving. Um, we back and forth, back and forth. Didn't find it. We had about two miles of creek um, that we we went back and forth, back and forth on. Um, of course, Jeremy's filming this whole thing, and you know I got my bow, and and you know it's funny too how much you think about stuff when. Um, when you're on a deer like this and the more you start thinking the legalities and stuff like that one of the things that i did when we had them dogs or that dog is uh, i put my bow away and the reason i did was because all i could think was is and i shoot him with a bow i'm assuming there's got to be a fine line there between tracking a deer with a dog and hunting a deer with a dog so i mean there was things that i was thinking like that that you know on a 150 inch deer you know maybe nobody would ever say anything but you know you get three or four guys out there helping you track a deer and then you shoot it and the dogs are on it well three months later somebody's not happy or or whatever reason and they say well he actually killed that when my dog was on it well you just poached you know and right. everybody was mine so yeah i mean there was a lot of things that that went through my mind that i just really focused hard on like to try to make sure everything is just 100 percent legit so we um we covered that whole field, covered the two creek, the two miles of creek, and me and Jeremy are sitting there. It's about five or six o'clock, and I'm just looking at him, thinking, "Man, I pulled him away from his kid all day. You know, he's been gone sure, for right. well over 24 hours. I'm feeling terrible. We're both whooped. I mean, when we lift our, when I lift my legs up, my hamstrings would hurt, <laughs> and uh, and I'm just trying to feel him out. I would have looked, I could have looked for it for another three days, you know, right, but. You know, I, I I wanted to feel him out, and I said, "Well, what do you think, Jeremy?" And he he looks at me and he says, "Well, I think it's still daylight." He said, "Let's keep looking." And I said, "God, you know, I couldn't have, you know, it gives me the chills hearing that from him because I remember thinking, oh man, I owe you.'" And uh, 
we kind of talked about it and decided, well, let's sweep that thicket one more time. Yeah. Once we sweep that thicket, we'll have everything covered. Let's reset the trail cameras. Um, you know, all your feed's good. We'll spend the next two days watching for birds. So, you know, what, what astounded us the most was is we never found an arrow. We never found a deer. We never jumped them. Hmm. I mean, why hadn't we seen something that gave us a sign that this deer was alive? So we're heading over there, and it's it got about halfway across the field, and I looked at Jeremy, and I said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? And I said, I can't find my phone. He's <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. Well, you know how the jackets have a zipper that zips up to, you know, give you a little air? Right. And it's right next to the pocket? Yes. Yeah. Well, I got I just iphone in the pocket i put it in that that um on the ground (laughs) so here we are sitting out in the middle of this field trying to figure out how to use find my iphone Uh, it took us a while but we ended up tracking this thing right smack in the middle of that wetland crp field and that my phone stood there with his phone we tracked it right to my phone so um, (laughs) i'll be looking for a sponsor at iphone (laughs) either way we we found my phone we headed back over the thicket and on the way over there i told him i said man i said the only thing I could think is the property that butts up against the backside of this is, um, I know the guy's very nice guy. We've talked several times. He hunts, but I think he would let us look. And I said, but they do ride quads back there, and I'm not sure that this deer has ever really went back there. So I called him up, and he said, yeah, absolutely, go ahead. So I'm, I'm thinking probably 10 acres, and there's like a two-acre CRP field right behind his house. I told Jeremy, I said, we might as well sweep it because that's it. Once we do that, I mean, there's really nothing else around that this deer could be in. So he said, absolutely, let's go do it. So we go around there, and the one guy I think the guy said is, like, make sure my neighbor's not hunting because he hunts back there. And Aaron, so we stopped, talked to Aaron, this guy we ended up you know, going to school with. I didn't even know he lived there. And he said, absolutely, no, I'm not hunting. As a matter of fact, I'll come back there and help you. Hmm. We said, great, that'd be awesome. So we start heading back, and uh, you know, Jeremy's high in that CRP field, and I'm kind of down low on it. And Aaron, we told him, yeah, you stay out of it because he wasn't really dressed for that thicket. And uh, we get about uh, 30 yards in, and Jeremy falls flat on his face. <laughs> you know, typically, I'd laugh at that point, but I was kind of like, eh, I felt bad for him because it had been a rough day. Right. So I said, hey, you all right, man? He says, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. So we take about 10 more steps, and he said, oh, man, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? And he said, I shattered the lens on your camera. And I, I was like, who cares? I said, at this point, let's look for this thing. I'll fix it later. So he said, no, nah, you got to see this. It's pretty shattered. And I said, Oh, all right. So I turn around and I start walking back towards him and I'm looking at the camera and I'm like, that is nothing broke there. He goes, well, I tripped over that damn thing. Goodness. I, there he's, there he laid. And I mean, he was wow. still, limber. his neck was still limber to where I, I can't imagine he'd been dead for four or five hours. Even Tony Zirkel, the, uh, the, um, wildlife officer said that he said man it just don't seem like he's been dead that long so we we found him and uh you know jeremy had to tone my language down a little bit um for the camera right if you didn't the you know the biggest reason he lied to me about the camera which people would ask me why did he lie about that <laughs> he wanted to get my true live action on camera and let me tell you he did and and it was there was times during that footage where i'm actually looking up at the sky and, and it wasn't because i any other reason than I was, you know, that the, I was literally tearing up a little bit just because the the work that I'd put into this deer. And, and it was amazing, too, because, like, I truly looked at this deer like, you know, like, wasn't necessarily like I felt I did something great. But, like, like I was just looking at him like, God, you, you were, this deer 
avoided so many avid hunters in that area for seven years. Like not really being, I didn't feel remorseful, but almost like when I was looking at his eyes, I felt like I was like, like I knew him, you know? And, right. uh, so, you know, I got down, of course I counted the antlers and, you know, I may have kissed him on his nose too. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, uh, so, you know, we did that and he's over here puckering his lips up. Like, yeah. I don't know what he was. <laughs> you don't have no antlers on your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so I, uh, you know, we, I counted all the points. Of course, I counted 34 the first time. And, uh, we, you know, called in, called the tag in like we're supposed to. And, and, uh, it's funny because when I was calling the tag in, that they, you know, it's a computerized thing. And it says, it asks all these questions and you answer them on the phone. And it says, how many points does your buck have? And I'm like, oh, crap. So I start counting. I get halfway through and he interrupts me. How many points does this buck have? I start he interrupts me like three times and then it hangs up on me. I'm like, all right. So I finally counted them all and redid that. And then um, the game warden came out and, and uh, he was awesome. Helped us, you know, did the, uh, did everything I asked him to. You know, he looked over the footage and, and um, investigated everything for me. And um, he helped us drag it to the truck. So, Wow. So that was the gist of it. I mean, that was that so. Was, of all that, all the land that you covered, it ended up going onto a neighboring property. Absolutely, we, we were within uh, we were within sixty yards from it two or three times. Wow. The dogs were within sixty yards from it, but that wind was just it. It didn't allow yeah. the dog to smell it, and he stunk. I mean, he did by the time we got to him. Yeah, and it was it was just on a piece of property that you was like the last place that you would think he would probably have gone. Yes, and, and the funny thing about that is, is um, you know, during shed season, I would always measure beds and try to figure out, you know, where was this buck's bed and where, where's he at? Where's he spending his time? And I found a few beds in that thicket, but I knew he was staying in that thicket. And this thicket that we actually found him in, um, I really didn't know a lot about the thicket because I didn't have permission to hunt it. You know, I've sure. never been over there. Sure. And it, it was, it's literally like, literally a maybe maybe two acres maybe acre and a half and it's 80 yards off this um, guy's back porch and the thing is is there's crab apples in there Mm. and when i open this your stomach he had crab apples in there and and i almost don't wonder if that buck wasn't bedded down there most of the time and nobody just knew it i mean 80 yards off this guy's back porch and and nobody just nobody knew it you know and um i think that uh you know that's that's definitely uh, a good spot to be, you know, watching coming in and out of there. Wow! So he he basically figured out a place to go where nobody was looking for him, and absolutely as they do. That's yeah. crazy! What a great story, Dan! Fantastic story! You're a good good storyteller, by the way. <laughs> I don't know how, how long you've been telling this story, but man, yeah. it, it's awesome! What a just super detailed, long, you know, long recovery in the, just to set up two years. And and then almost not finding it, it's that's crazy. You know, I wouldn't change a minute about it either. Heck no. You know, me and Jeremy have been great friends for a while now, and um, it, that this this experience is just one of those um, those hunting experiences that you know you look back on all the time. That's a moment we'll never forget. The day we found that deer. I mean, it was just, I think both of us were just like completely defeated of energy, but completed, you know, like we just right. knew how much time we'd put into looking for that deer and, and how easily we could have given up. And, um, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about it. If we'd have found that deer 125 yards, it it wouldn't be, 
it wouldn't be as great of a story to me. No. You know? It wouldn't be as great of a memory. As a matter of fact, Jeremy for Christmas, he called me up. He said, hey, I got a little gift for you. Let's meet at Roosters, get something to eat. I said, all right. So I met him down there. He goes, it ain't much. He said, it didn't cost him but 2 or $3, but here you go. And, uh, and I think about it, this is October, November, two months later. He hands me a uh, small picture frame with a leaf in it and it says uh it's got a speck of blood on it and it says first blood october 26 2016 uh, man and it says true grit that's pretty cool man that's yeah. really cool wow what a gift and yeah you, you never i never think to to keep a leaf that has a fleck of blood on it i should it's blood leaf you know yeah it's uh yep that's something that it is kind of special i'll have to start doing that that's great Wow, Dan. So what what was the final score when it was all said and done? Okay. Um, I've heard so many scores go through my head. I'm going to try to get this right. Um, the, this is Pope and Young, um, Boone and Crockett, Ohio Big Buck. This is a panel of scores out of Ohio. Um, now, keep in mind that, you know, when Pope and Young, I just sent the scores in a couple of days ago. I've been really busy and didn't get them in for a little while there. But when Pope and Young gets these scores from the panel out of Ohio, they may suggest that it gets paneled again. It's it's hard to tell. Yeah. So the Pope and Young, that, that panel score says that the gross score is 298 and two eights. Wow. And then the net score is 287 and five eights. Wow. And then also SCI scored at 307 eights. Wow. Pope and Young bucks right now. Okay, Pope and Young, it is number two in the world. Okay. Uh, next to the Beatty buck. Yeah. Um, and then I'm uncertain on, you know, all-time records. Obviously, it's the biggest deer in the world ever put on video. Um, right. Or Chase. Um, SCI, I'm uncertain where it rates are Boone and Crockett. Um, I was told... Uh, a number like as far as a deer hunter killed not you know i'm not talking train hits car hits stuff like that i was told seven at one point but i do not know that that's positive there's a lot of big bucks out there um so somewhere around in that neighborhood though i'd say it's in the top 10 i think wow so yeah it's uh so where do you go from here dan you know what? <laughs> I want to go back to hunting 160, 170-inch deer that nobody else is after, and I don't have to hide from. <laughs> I don't have to. This year, I'm not going to have to part. I'm not going to have to spend time putting tree branches over my truck to hide. Right. Your social life is going to get back to normal now. You know, there were times where, like, me and Jeremy went to Canada bow hunting bear. And literally, I laid in the back and sat on my computer and studied pictures. You know, and that brings me to another point that um, that I never even talked about. I can't believe I didn't talk about you. I had a, um, a cork board with a topography map on it, right? And on this cork board, I had, like, I had the funnels drawn out, pinch points, um, you know, had all that drawn out. And then when I found, a, when I'd see a picture of this deer, I'd put a red pin in there with an arrow facing which way he was, looked like he was headed. All right, anytime where I knew that he was bedded somewhere, I'd put a red dot there, or actually a black circle is where I thought he was bedding. You know, I had my feeding spots um, pinned and my tree stands pinned. And, this deer, I would literally take all the trail cameras, and, and every single day from, I don't even remember when I started doing them. It was actually my neighbor's idea. I, um, I started um, getting on my phone twice to set my alarm clock for 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., and I would mark the wind on that property twice a day. So I knew what the wind was doing all the time. I was paying attention to the barometric pressure, and I was paying attention to the moon. So I'd sit down at the end of two weeks, and I'd, I'd pull these pictures up, 
of where I would see him versus what the wind was blowing the day before that, where he was bedded the day before, or where he was seen two days before. And I started putting together, um, you know, by, by paying attention to the wind and where he was versus what the wind was blowing, I started really kind of putting together his travel corridor of, of what he was traveling to get where he wanted and where he seemed to be bedded up with the wind according to what the wind was doing the day before. So um, that was one of the other things that I sunk a lot of time in. And all the way to Canada and back, I was studying pictures. I mean, I was literally putting a timeline together, studying pictures, and uh, trying to figure out what was it. And he didn't have a pattern. He stood up and he went, walked towards the wind. That's about all we did. You know, with already being in the hunting industry and already video, and, and you know, it's helped me. And I've, I've got a lot of good friends that have helped me out and a lot of um, great people. You know, Gordon Winnington, you talk about an extremely nice guy. You great know, guy. Great guy. Talk to him. You know, one of the things he asked me, he says, well, what, what do you want? You know, what do you want to do with this? What do you, and I told him, I said, you know what? I said, it's, it, it was a dream to kill a 200 inch deer. It was a dream for somebody to put me on pro staff and send me a couple trail cameras. You know, it was a dream right, right. to know that someday maybe I could get myself in the industry enough to where, you know, I, I could maybe even get some sponsors to where, could cut on cost to where I wasn't spending my life savings to hunt every single year. Right. And you know, this, this is, this isn't by any means, you know, a, a lottery ticket, but it's, I, it's definitely put opportunity in front of my eyes to pursue a dream. And, and, you know, I've got two kids, so I, you know, I still got to work for a living just like everybody else. And, and, uh, and take care of them and you know it can't be i can't consume my life in it but you know i do spend a lot of time um trying to be progressive for myself and any sponsors that are backing me right just think if if it wasn't for this book you might not be in the big buck registry deer hunting podcast studios that's right right. things things open up when you kill big deer (laughs) absolutely you know i've met a lot of good people like i said you know that was uh that meeting you know gordon was one of it you know it was amazing to me that you know when he called me i actually had two stipulations and it was kind of funny because he calls me up and um i tell him right off the bat i said i got two stipulations though and you got to know him up front he's like what's that and i said a my son has to be on the front cover of the magazine with me yeah i said b i get to proofread my story and I said, because, you know, I know I have a lot of respect for people. I said, there's much more than me that built my name and I'm not going to tear it down because there was a mistake in there. So, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. And uh, so then it, like I talked to him for a while and he's like, great guy. And I hang up and I remember thinking, really, did I just draw a line in the sand with Gordon <laughs> Winnington? <laughs> I, I was just talking to Gordon Winnington and I'm, I'm like throwing out the hands. But no, he turned out to be a great guy. And then, you know, I've talked, I've gotten the opportunity and, you know, Mike Beatty's giving me some good advice, and, and, and yeah. he's a guy. And, you know, Mark Hammer here in Ohio, he's awesome. And, and just so many good people that have helped me out. And, uh, you know, and it's it's been good. It's been fun. So now that um, you've you've talked to other people who have shot big deer, you're now part of that group with some of the, the most massive deer ever known to man that have been taken. What, what type of advice would you give to those guys that are pursuing the big deer now uh that that the challenges you had to endeavor um just before and and after we talked about a few of them but there's there other pieces of advice that you would give to guys that are really getting ready to hunt hard on some of these large deer i don't know you know i tell you what i um 
I have become a much more educated hunter because of this deer. I, I'm, you know, nobody special. I didn't, I don't know anything any more than anybody else. The one thing I will say is this, is when I seen this deer, I did the same thing that you, Dusty, any other avid hunter, any other hunter out there would have done. When, when he seen that he had an opportunity, when you saw that you have an opportunity to kill a monster buck like that, you are going to step up your game. If this would have been a 160-inch deer with the same intelligence, good chance I might not have killed him because I wouldn't have put the time that I needed into it. Right. And it made me learn that... I've learned so much from this deer and and it taught me so much and it, 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 you know, there's little things that I was lazy about in the past and who knows, 10 years from now, I may be lazy about them again, but it it made me realize how important it was to, to be, um, to be detailed with every step you take and, and to really try to keep up on everything. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't look at it like, you know, like I said earlier, every deer is different in my opinion. And I don't look at it like, um, heck, I say just go for it, you know. You, you will, uh, the bigger your desire, the more harder you'll work. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. Absolutely. Wow, Dan's been awesome. I have, I have 10 rapid-fire questions for you. If you would hold on for just a couple more minutes, I know it's been a long story, and it's, uh, but you had a lot to say, and it's been worth every second of you telling us the story. I appreciate you doing that for us. So here, here's my, my 10 rapid-fire questions. Number one, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? Give the deer the wind. Okay. Yeah. Right. I feel that a mature buck, um, if you don't give him the wind, I feel that there's been many times that I've hunted deer knowing that the wind was blowing in my face and he was in front of me and it never crossed my mind that that deer is not going to come that way because he is smart enough not to walk with the wind in his face. Gotcha. All right. I think that's that's a great answer. All right, so we have these things that we bring into the woods with us that it might be a good luck charm, something that, that's, that you feel special and makes you more successful, despite all the, the details that you put into these things. Is there any? Do you have like a good luck charm that you bring with you into the woods? A good luck charm that I bring in the woods with me. I mean, there's a. Uh, I will say this. Um, I do have in my backpack. I had a, um, and I've, I've just kept it for as long as my boy's been alive. Um, I keep, and the reason I started putting a picture in there is, um, because, um, I think it was the bear hunting trip. Um, my boy was born February 27, 2014. And, and let's see, February 27, 2014. And that year we went to Colorado and then 2015 we went bear hunting and I've always carried a picture of my boy, um, in my backpack. So I will say this, that is the one thing that it it's just it stays in my hunting gotcha. bag. It goes with me when I hunt. All right, so you do have one thing. Got it. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve? Oh God, I know exactly what it is. Spitting in the woods. Spitting in the woods. Interesting. Why? Why is that? Well, you know, some people believe that that the deer don't smell that and they don't acknowledge that, but it's just you know what? It's one of them OC thing D things that I hate. Uh, you know, and I know a lot of guys that have killed very mature deer and, and have done well that you know i know a few of them that do spit on the ground the guy i'm specifically talks about knows exactly who i'm talking about right now if you're listening <laughs> so uh yeah we uh, you know it's just one of my things i don't know what it is you know we um, um <laughs> jeremy and i are very good friends uh, like i said extremely good friends and if uh 
we're on my property, he he does not spit on the ground. But if we're on his property, he makes a point to spit a lot on the ground just to show me that. <laughs> Little challenge there. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. All right. How old are you now, Dan? 32. 32. What would you tell your 20-year-old self now that you know what you know today? Oh, goodness. Listen to dad. Listen to dad. I don't realize. I don't think I realized my old man knew as much as he knew until I was about twenty seven, twenty eight, probably. Yeah. yeah, that happens a lot. All right, so you're you're at a hunting convention. You're in the the lobby of the hotel, and a stranger walks up to you, and they, you strike up a conversation. They ask you what you do for a living. What do you tell them? Fireman. Fireman. Okay. I'm a paramedic, and uh, and uh, I have a dream of being a hunter for a living. Gotcha. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? Leftover frosted flakes that my boy didn't eat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that one makes complete sense to me, actually. Uh, I've been there. You get a blank billboard on the side of the road. Has put anything that you want to put on it. What does it say? Oh, God, it's a picture of me and my boy behind that deer. Nice. Very good. Yep. All right. I say the word successful to you. Who's the first person that comes into your head and why? I look at people who, you know, I got a good buddy of mine who... Um, I've always kind of looked up to. I haven't actually seen him in years, but like real nice family, real good kids, uh, great job and very intelligent person. And I always just kind of admired him for that. But uh guy I haven't seen in years, is uh, his name's Kyle Alexander. Uh, he actually, uh, when I was a, first starting to be a medic, um, he uh, taught me, he, he helped me out a lot. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that was just extremely good paramedic and really knew his job and he could recite the book to you. Mm. And I remember being a medic at first and I was scared to death because, you know, it's time to save people's lives now. And I don't remember half of what they probably taught me. And I want to be good at my job, but, you know, I know I'm not yet. And uh, um, I remember I was scared to ask questions because I didn't want anybody to know that I didn't know something. And I remember um, asking him a question and he said, you know what? I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure. And and I remember thinking in my mind, man, if Kyle can say, I don't know, I'm going to have to look that up. Why am I so worried that I got to be the perfect person that knows everything? Right. Uh, you know, he's just one of them guys that, like I said, I ain't seen him in a couple of years, but just I would call him a successful guy. Gotcha. What's a day in the life of Dan Kaufman look like? Goodness, busy. Nonstop. I run constantly. I don't stop. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, sleep little and run a lot. And, and you know, I, like I said, I got full-time job two kids um you know two-year-old and a four-month-old keep you pretty occupied when you have them and um you know i want to be that word you know successful and i want to be a successful fireman fireman paramedic i want to be a successful hunter you know and and it takes work you know the harder you work i i gotta assume the the better you're gonna come in the end so I don't stop. Sometimes I got to self-check myself and, and get some rest because I'll wear myself down if I let myself. Gotcha. All right, last question. Come deer season, what does a day in the life look like? Is it different than the regular day in the life? Are you still buzzing around all over the place? Yeah, I'm nonstop then. I'm even worse then because I'm, you know, getting ready and, and trying to figure out what's coming next, you know, what, what opportunity is, is going to be out there. And, you know, you, you, you get – you start getting busy and, and two weeks goes by and you haven't been able to get out to feed and you're like, God, I, yeah, I can't let that corn pile go dry. I can't let it go dry. I can't let it go dry. And you know, you're, it's constant. It's fun, constant. And, um, I will say this, having kids has slowed me down a little bit because I do make sure that I, 
you know, when I have my boy, you know, we, we, we spend time together. So that's helped. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, it's been fantastic. I can't thank you enough for joining us on the show. It's been uh, just a tremendous two hours. Actually, we've spent doing this and it's, I it feels like five minutes. The, the story was tremendous. Yeah, you, it's been an honor. Thank you for so much for joining us on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, I'm glad you liked it. Appreciate you having me, both of you. Dan is, is an amazing storyteller when it comes right down to it. What, Jay, the ending was it's crazy, ain't it? That, that was just Hell crazy. I, I knew all the listeners like, no way. You know, they yeah. got a dog and searched around and, you know, it was almost like, wow. Yeah, it wasn't the standard I shot it. It fell, I picked it up. No, 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 no. We had to, we almost didn't find it. It's crazy. It's just, uh, you know, a great story, something that we can all relate to. You know, we've all, if you're a hunter, eventually you're going to have that one buck that, man, it takes you a lot of effort to find. It happens sometimes. It's part of hunting. And right? sometimes they just run even though you hit them well. And sometimes you don't find them. And it yeah, drives I, you I, insane. I, I can relate, you know. Mm-hmm. Circled, circled, and hunted, and hunted, and circled, and looked. And just when you're about to give up and say, man, I've, I made a mistake. And, you know, it, it, you you just have that one last push in you and you go find him somewhere that you, you should have looked from the beginning. Yeah, it's a sick feeling. Like, it makes you feel sick when you feel like you're not going to recover this buck, no matter what size it is. Yep. But can it's you that, imagine when you thought that there's a chance I'm not going to find this a near world record and at the time he thought it might have been a world record right oh god it, it would just make you there there'd be so many highs and lows in that scenario yeah absolutely insane man uh, hey do we have a chubby tines tip of the week this week chubby tines tip of the week is uh the chubby tines tip of the week is sponsored by morse's sporting goods firearms use firearms bows use bows located at 85 kentucky falls road in hillsborough new hampshire Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. You know, when you when you shoot a deer, Jay, and you have access to some buddies or somebody that can, can help you, and let's say you made that first 200-yard walk and you haven't found your deer, you know, your mind's going to start playing games with you. So I, I'm just throwing out a suggestion. It's something I really like to do, and... And not everybody can do that, and not everybody has access to buddies that can drive out to where you're hunting or where your tree stand or whatever. But, uh, you know, call somebody and, and, and have them get involved with you because, you know, the more eyes you can get looking at the ground for a drop of a speck of blood, the better off you'll be. And, and you won't, uh, you know, if a deer makes a left or a right or if it jumps over a log and turns and runs a different direction, your, your odds will be a whole lot greater finding that buck with more the more eyes you can get out there. I'm not saying bringing 30 people out there, but if you can get a couple buddies to come help you track a deer, let's say you made that that not so good shot, or you just having you made a great shot and you're having struggle in finding blood. You know, the more eyes and flashlights, and it seems like the better off you are. You know, one scenario for me was we got into a blood trail, scuffed up the leaves, and we lost it. Like, oh man! Well, what, what happened was I'd walk past the, where he turned at circle back around, circle back around. Well, I was just scuffing the leaves up, and, and I made a mistake of not looking hard enough to find when that, that deer turned, but had a couple of buddies come out, and sure enough, we found a blood trail, and another 150 yards, there's my buck, and it was perfect. It worked out great. Yep. So that's just a suggestion. If you can get a couple of buddies out to help you track a deer, get them out there. Buddies are always helpful. I had the same thing happen to me. No blood trail, 300 yards away. All ahead was a direction. We found that buck, and it was nice. 
just made you know the kill shot was a little high, but it and it it just ran for quite a while with not a right. drop of blood. It's part of hunting. Part part of hunting. Yep. But we got the deer. So Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here with me on the mic? Hit me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler. You can shoot me an email right here at Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com, or you can look me up on Facebook, Chubby Tines Outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Shoot me an email at Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can check us out on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry. Instagram's the same, Instagram.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry, and so is Twitter, Twitter.com forward slash BigBuckRegistry. If you'd like to be famous for a day and show your Big Buck on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Facebook page and be in front of 227,000 followers, diehard deer hunting fans, go to BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash my buck all the instructions are right there for you to check that out and figure out how to get it on the page otherwise give me a call at 724-613-2825 and leave us a message give us some feedback on this show give us some feedback by subscribing to the show on itunes and leave us a review if you wouldn't mind if you'd like the show leave us a five star and uh, finally if you're listening and you have a couple extra bucks to support the show we could always use the help by going to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate. And we have uh, different levels of participation in the show. Some will actually get you a, a hat and a t-shirt. But uh, go there, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate, and all the all the prizes are right there for you to take a look at. Well, Dusty, it's been a fantastic show. Thanks to Jim Snow at the Eurohanger. Thanks to Jim Morse at Morse's Sporting Goods making this show possible. This is Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. 